Hey guys, it's Jay Bear, founder of Convince and Convert. This is another episode of Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. Joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Adam Brown, my special Texas friend, the executive strategist for Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Man, what a show this week, huh? I, I, I learned a lot. I, I did. And uh, and I tell you, these these two books that from, uh, from Phil M. Jones, Exactly What to Say and Exactly How to Sell, are small in stature, but the density of information Information in here is nothing short of phenomenal. I read I read both of them, Jay, as I, as I say in the show uh, on a flight uh, back last night from San Francisco, and the number of notes that were created from these books uh, and the number of ideas spinning around my head was nothing short of phenomenal. It's just some great stuff. And Phil is such a charismatic uh, speaker and and really owns the content. Yeah, he, he is really something else. He was extraordinarily modest about his background on the show itself, but uh, he was named the greatest sales trainer in the entire United Kingdom uh, before he was 40 years old, uh, before the age of 40. I mean, he is he is really something else. And look, you might think, well, this show is not really about social media. It's about sales. Yeah, but trust me, it's about social media as well. You are going to get a ton out of this conversation with Phil M. Jones and really cannot recommend his books highly enough. They both came out just in the last few months. Super duper useful, regardless of, of what your job is, as we talked about in the show. Uh, before we get into it, just a quick reminder of the sponsors here on the show. We wouldn't be here without our fantastic sponsors. Obviously, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, who have the eternal wisdom to employ Mr. Adam Brown. Uh, social is more important than ever for B2B marketers, yet, yet some B2B folks have a kind of a hard time figuring it out. There's a new guide from Salesforce called The Complete Guide to Social Media for B2B Marketers. It reveals the best types of content you should be using in each segment of your social media empire, LinkedIn, Facebook, Pinterest, Snapchat. Uh, talks about advanced social metrics, listening, engagement strategies. It's solid check it out at bit.ly slash B2B social guide. That's bit.ly slash B, the number two B social guide. And you can download it for free right now. That's all lowercase. Uh, new sponsor on the show this week, our friends at Brand Watch. If you listen to Social Pro, to the Social Post podcast, you know that there's thousands and thousands of posts and images shared online every second. There's never been more social data available. We're swimming in data. Um, and, and Brandwatch helps thousands of brands and agencies make sense of that data. So you get analyst-level insights at the click of a button. You can find the right influencers and optimize your campaigns in real time. And you can prove your marketing ROI with data-powered competitor benchmarking, which is super slick, immediate crisis alerts. Hopefully, you, you never need that. Uh, and add analysis that helps you convert. Make the most out of your marketing. Go to brandwatch.com slash social pros, brandwatch.com slash social pros, and see how Brandwatch software will help you keep a pulse on your customers, your campaigns, and your competitors. And the show this week also brought to you by our pals at Hyper, the location-based social media marketing and listening platform that is blowing up. They are dominating in the world of geosocial local um, social data. You, you draw a, a circle around the location. It feeds you all the social content being published inside that location. Amazing for crisis response, amazing for analysis, amazing for guest engagement. Um, they're being used by Marriott, by Norwegian Cruise Lines, Hard Rock, 24-Hour Fitness. Anybody that has a series of locations is thinking hard about using Hyper, and rightfully so. They're genius guys. Uh, go to Hyper dot com slash social pros to learn more about it and you should hyp the number three r dot com hyp the number three r dot com slash social pros and learn more about how to make location the heart of your marketing thanks again to our sponsors let's hear now 
from Phil M. Jones on this week's Social Pros Podcast. This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert. Welcome to season six of Social Pros. If you want to learn how big companies succeed with social media, you found the perfect podcast. The show is brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers through social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. The show is also brought to you by Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors and get more customer reviews. And by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to the world's most interesting brands. Convince and Convert makes your social better. My co-host for the show is Adam Brown. Find all links, archives, and more at socialpros.com. Are you ready? Let's get to work. Phil M. Jones, the M stands for magnificent, is our guest this week on Social Pros, spectacular sales trainer, keynote speaker, man about town, fantastic human being, and author of not just one, but two new books. The first, Exactly What to Say, The Magic Words for Influence and Impact, and the companion book, Exactly How to Sell. Phil, welcome to Social Pros. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, your book, Exactly What to Say, is a runaway bestseller. You're selling all kinds of books. And one of the reasons I think that's true is that it is so approachable and so valid in anybody's life. It doesn't matter really what your job is or your company is or your or your station in life. Everybody needs to know how to communicate better. Do you feel like in this sort of social media era where people are sending emojis instead of sentences and, and are tweeting instead of having conversations, that knowing exactly what to say is more important than ever? I think the short answer to that question is yes, is more important than ever. Has it always been like a 9.6 out of 10 as a minimum? Yeah, it's probably like a 9.64 out of 10 right now in terms of importance. And yes, people are communicating differently in other ways, but what won't ever go out of fashion is is the importance of conversation and the importance of getting to know people and the importance of the other person feeling like they're being heard. The book is structured with a series of of magic words that you can use in different situations uh, to be able to to impact uh, your audience, your community, do do things different, better, more awesome. One of the things that that I loved in the book was was the magic word. It's really a phrase. If I can, will you? Can you talk about that one a little bit? I love that one. Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about is we're we're talking about the ability to influence other people. And to understand the power of influence, we have to understand the word motivation, a word that gets thrown around a lot like it's confetti, yet still very few people know what it means. And the true derivative of the word motivation is first part comes from the Latin word metavus, second part of the word comes from the word that we now know as, ac- as action. So another word for motive would be a reason. If somebody's to take action, they're going to move or they're going to do something. So the real meaning of the word motivation is a reason to move. Now, we all know that in real-world scenarios, that if I'm going to move, you're going to move too, right? Nobody wants to feel like they got a bum deal in anything. They want to feel like some sweat equity is being played out here, and that if I'm going to dance, you're going to dance too. We get safety in numbers. So when somebody asks you to move or somebody asks you to do anything outside of your standard terms and conditions, then what you can do is respond with a conditional response, which is if I can do that, then will you do this? 
And we're always looking to be able to make this compromise or this ongoing scenario to say, well, hold on, we're all going to play well and we're going to play nice together and then everybody wins. And it means that what happens is at the end of the agreement to an if I can, will you, both parties feel like they gave a little and both people feel like they come away from this thinking, hey, I got a little more than I bargained for. It seems to me like that's a very useful technique when you're using social media for selling. And obviously the field of quote unquote social selling is is in rapid um, increase. We've had lots of conversations here on the Social Pros podcast about social selling and, and professional salespeople in a variety of industries using Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, even Pinterest, Snapchat to, to interact with prospects in a way that sort of falls outside the regular quote unquote kind of sales script. Do you feel like these magic words can be used in that context for salespeople? I think they could be used in all kinds of different people. What we do need to remember, though, is that what the majority of people want to do, particularly as marketers, is they, you know, they want to know what's the killer post. What's the what's the one set of words that gets me from nowhere to somewhere, like in an instantaneous silver bullet type fashion. And it's about like as useful as saying, what's that one line that I can use when I'm in the club that's going to get her to go home with me. It's it's kind of like a fairy tale, and people look for often for things that are inappropriate on the first date, right? Or they want to get married with kids without having to go through all the bases. We need to think with our conversations that we've got to move from piece to piece to piece to piece to piece. And something that will never go out of fashion is that questions create conversations. Conversations lead to relationships. Relationships create opportunities and opportunities lead to sales. What the book is, is either questions or prefaces towards questions to mean that those questions start to open up more conversations. Those conversations make more relationships. Those relationships create more opportunities. Those opportunities lead to sales. So when we're thinking about selling in a social capacity, our goal should be starting of conversations, conversations in predetermined frameworks or boundaries to allow us to be able to create opportunities in order for us to be able to sell. Not how do I post something, say something, or deliver something in a messenger format that gets somebody to buy something. It's going through all of the bases. Make sense? I think it does make sense, Phil. And uh, and I enjoyed that one as well as all of these. Last night, I was coming back from a uh, a customer meeting uh, in San Francisco, and I read your uh, your book, uh, Exactly What to Say on the Plane. And it was funny. Um, I was going through the book, and I read one of the phrases in the book and recognized that I had actually used that yesterday in my customer meeting. And it's one of my favorite ones. It's one that I use oftentimes. And here's where I want to get your thoughts on it. The phrase is just imagine. And here's why I love that phrase, because it is impossible not to imagine something when someone says it. For example, if I say, just imagine that you are on a beach, you cannot not imagine that. And I'm curious, why does that phrase work like that? Why does our brain do what it does when we say that? Because there are many times when people in a sales type of situation will tell you to do something and your brain will say, no. But just imagine has a secret power. What is that? Well, you got to understand how the mind works in its really simplest and purest of fashions. Think of it as a Rolodex of images. That's how memory works, right? Is we have this catalog of images that we have created that allow us to be able to reference back scenarios. We don't remember the thing. We remember what we saw when we were doing the thing, which helps us remember the thing. So the images are the things that are most important to us. And this actually even talks towards the power of many modern day social media platforms is the power of an image. In fact, every decision that's ever been made has been made at least twice. I mean, I wonder whether you've ever said to yourself the words, I cannot see myself doing that. 
It's a literal thing. If you cannot see yourself doing something, you're not likely to go ahead and go and do that thing. But once you've seen yourself doing that thing, you become more likely to go ahead and go and do it. So we have to have seen ourselves doing something before we then be able to lean towards it. Now, this was trained to us as children. As children, we learned the power of our imagination. It was where we learned things best. We created paths of least resistance for us to be able to accept information in story form easily because they come to us in the form of images. Preface to a set of words that worked for us as kids would have been once upon a time. We knew when an adult said to us once upon a time that they're about to tell us a story. It's going to be good. Kick back, open up the picture viewer. Let's start planting in some images that are going to feel great. Take me on a ride. Can't say once upon a time to adults and expect it to lead to a positive business conversation. Yet what we can say is we can say just imagine and cannot help but see the thing that we're asking them to just imagine because it's a pre-programmed belief that we have towards our subconscious. It's like a shortcut. So if you think about looking down to your keypad right now on your keyboard, on your computer, you'll know you have shortcuts to allow you to be able to do things easily. Just imagine is a set of words that opens up the shortcut for somebody to say, please insert picture. Phil, another phrase that I love from exactly what you say that I think is much like just imagine and that our brains are kind of pre-programmed for it is the phrase, I bet you're a bit like me or I bet you're a lot like me because you can't imagine yourself in a situation without that. And that's one that we oftentimes hear kind of in sales. I'm curious kind of how you've come across using that. And if you see there's any application for using that sort of conversational style with social media content. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think we have to understand some of the psychology behind it, first of all, is that the majority of human beings hate conflict. Like we, we absolutely despise conflict. We'd rather agree with somebody we don't agree with for the sake of an easy life than we will find ourselves in a hot topic conversation. And what we are looking to be able to do is to understand that selling is earning the right to make a recommendation. So that's what selling is. It's not embellishing a product or service so that the other person thinks it might be a good idea to buy it. It's earning the right to make a recommendation. What that means is we need to be able to gather evidence to be able to make those recommendations based on. And what I bet you're a bit like me can do is it can get the other person. Well, it can, it can help you get just about anybody to agree to just about anything, providing you're reasonable. Works even better with a stranger in a conversational setting than it does with somebody who knows you well. Because I could say to you, Jay, I bet you're a bit like me. You'd be like, I'm nothing like you. Because you're brave enough to know enough about our relationship to be able to front that up. But in a setting where you're dealing with somebody who is less well-known, and perhaps just knows you from a distance, which is great in a social media setting where what you've got is you've got maybe a situation where you've got clients who know you as a brand or clients that know you as a person. And you say, I bet you're just like me, or I bet you're just like so-and-so. If you introduce a personality character into some of your marketing pieces, then what you can allow people to be able to do is to find agreement with the fact that now they have a, you know, a pattern to follow. Now, in a previous life of mine, one of the things that I was challenged to do was to help people in the furniture industry overcome some of the challenges they had when introducing some of their key profit drivers into the business. One of the biggest things that drove more profit in the furniture industry than anything else was fabric protection on couches. Biggest objection as to why a customer wouldn't want fabric protection on the couch is um, they would say we're dead careful. We don't eat and drink on our furniture. And I find that still a fascinating objection to come commonly because people say that salespeople are liars. My experience is customers aren't so good at telling the truth because clearly, like, 
everybody eats and drinks on their furniture at some point in their life, right? Everybody has a can of beer, a glass of wine, a TV dinner or something. Everybody does it. But a customer says, I don't eat and drink on my furniture. I could never say, well, of course you do. Of course you do. Everybody does. But what I could say before I get to that objection, I could say, I bet you're a bit like me, never find time to sit around the table as a family more often than not as a tray on your lap in front of the box. And everybody would agree. I bet you're a bit like me. And more often than not, you get in from work tired and it's coming straight to the fridge to crack open a a can of beer. Yeah, yeah, that's me. Sit down on the couch, watch the sports. Now, what that person can now not do is to say they do not eat and drink on their furniture. Where do you use that? You use it in social storytelling ahead of being able to make an ask towards somebody to create a piece of agreeable evidence that you're going to use as an anchor to make your recommendation. So I bet you're a bit like me. I bet you're a bit like Steve. I bet you're a bit like Gemma. I bet you're a bit like whoever. Get them to be able to agree towards the fact through posting or conversation or messenger exchange or wherever it might be earns you the right to be able to make the recommendation. You might want to look at this because we've created evidence to be worthy of the recommendation. You're mentioning a example person like Steve. It's very apropos for, for my next question before Jay and I uh, focus now on your, your next book. Uh, one of the phrases that you have in the book is, is one that Steve Jobs has is so kind of personified and, and, made, uh, and made genuine, and that is the just one more thing. Um, how many how many Apple product launches uh, do we remember with with, with Mr. Jobs uh, ending with that? My question for you, Phil, is because of that, because of Steve Jobs' uh, use of that phrase and its ubiquitous nature now associated with the last product of any Apple uh, new product expo, has the phrase just one more thing lost any of its gravitas or emphasis or influence? What we need to think about all of these phrases is they work best in the moment. If what happens is you give yourself a decade or even three seconds to think about the power of these phrases, you can find a million what ifs, buts, and maybes. It's the instantaneousness of their application that talks towards the subconscious brain that creates the reflex. One of the things that drives more people than anything else is the power of curiosity. Now, you come up with a just one more thing moment, then what happens is you cannot help but think, well, what is it? All the other stuff was great. Is this like better than great? Worse than great? Equally great? What is it? I, I got to come on in. And, and Steve Jobs might take claim for it, but it's not Steve Jobs. It belongs to Columbo. That's who owns that phrase is it comes from the TV detective in the 80s. Yeah. That would create Columbo moments that when somebody was being questioned towards their whereabouts, their whatsoever, what they're up to at a certain period of time that would have either gotten their alibi or proved that they didn't do it in the crime scene. He'd finish his questioning, he'd look to leave the room, he'd come back and he'd say just one more thing. Their guard has dropped and he can ask a more killer question. So it gives you the ability to be able to ask for more in a completely rejection-free capacity with the other person, their defense has dropped. So what I encourage lots and lots of people to do is to create Columbo moments. I mean, just imagine where this could fit for many of your clients. Could it come in the form of an email autoresponder on the back of a transaction? Hell yeah. Could it come on the back of somebody deciding that they've just completed a survey to say that you guys are awesome? Could it come in the form of um, you know, even an automated response on the back of a, of a web checkout? There are so many places that a just one more thing moment can exist, and in the moment it will never stop being powerful. What may well happen after the fact is you think that was clever. But it comes to you like three minutes later and that you're pleased that it was clever. You just can't help but applaud the brilliance like we do with Steve Jobs copying Columbo. 
Thanks for reminding us of the Columbo moment. You're you're exactly right. Uh, having watched that show when I was uh, when I was a little kid, and for those of you who are not familiar with Columbo, you need to go Wikipedia it and and see that that moment, as Phil said, the just one more thing moment was that denouement. That was the cliffhanger between Act Two and Act Three of every very formulaic procedural detective show uh, back in the uh, the seventies uh, and eighties. Before Adam jumps into the question about Phil's other new book, he's writing them in batches. It's insane. I wanted to remind Social Pros listeners that Phil's book, Exactly What to Say, was named the most useful, non-obvious book by a friend of the show, Rohit Bargarva, who was on uh, in January talking about his non-obvious trends of the year. Uh, Rohit's a very, very smart man. So if he says it's the most useful book of 2017, you can take that to the bank, ladies and gentlemen. And I couldn't agree more. Exactly What to Say is a book that everybody should read regardless of job, regardless of circumstance. And one of the things that's amazing about this book is that it is it is a slight book. It is easy to get through. It's not long at all. And Phil, one of the things that you did to sort of promote the book, which is genius, was a campaign that you launched on Facebook to demonstrate to people, to prove to them that in fact, the book could be consumed in under an hour. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. It was super fun, actually, is one of the things I learned about the whole book game is that people in business are great at buying books. They're just not so good at reading them. So I figured if I could distill down some information into a piece that could be read cover to cover within 60 minutes, I'd be onto something. And that's where we plan to be able to go with exactly what to say is I wanted a 60-minute read. I wanted that if you're on a flight, regardless of how long that flight was, then what we'd be allowing ourselves to be able to do is to get through that book in a single flight. That was the goal. So I put it all out there that it was going to be an hour, and then I'm thinking to myself, well, how do I prove it? Now, we could wait till audiobook comes out, but on the day of release, I sat on my couch with a pile of books around me from where all my author copies had arrived, and I decided to run via Facebook Live. So I did a number of teaser pieces through some of the groups that I've built up through the years and said, here's what's happening to give everybody first access to the book. I'm going to sit and I'm going to do a live reading of my book. And not just like a live reading of the excerpt of the book, a live reading of the entire book from the cover to the testimonials to everything can get through it. And we did it in like an hour and seven minutes with all of the fat of the uh, acknowledgements and everything else alongside it. And it was super fun because it got shared. It got pushed around into a load of other groups. And it showed a level of initiative that this is something that was different here. And I think was probably one of the key factors that went into the early success of the book. Now, did we get tens of thousands of people viewing the video? No. Did we get hundreds? Yes. Did we get great comments? Did people see it as being something that was different? Yes. Did it get talked about? Yes. What happened was, is we created something that was remarkable, something that was worth talking about. And I'm a big believer of things like books. There's only one thing that sells books. It's that somebody else told you to read it. So what I did is I created a moment that other people could go on to be able to talk about. And I think, Jay, you might have something to say about talk triggers, but maybe that's another time. Yeah, someday when that book is available, then then we'll uh, we'll, we'll compare notes. Thank you for the for the plug. Uh, my new book, Talk Triggers with Daniel Lemon, out October second. You'll be hearing more about it here on the Social Pros Podcast. Both books uh, that I am uh, either anticipating or or loving. I tell you, Phil, there's one thing about your book, exactly what to say that uh, should be changed, and that is it should include an exacto blade. Because what I'm finding myself doing is ripping every single one of these pages out and sticking them somewhere in my office, on my uh, bathroom mirror, uh, that sort of uh, that sort of thing. So that's the type of book it is. I, t- I tell you what I have done. I tell you what I have done, and I'll say to anybody listening in right now, if they tweet me or if they find me afterwards, I'll make sure they can get one of these for the hand. Is is you saying that 
I wanted to do something that would combine offline marketing with online marketing with this very book launch. And I produced the whole book on a single postcard. So I took every set of the magic words and created a beautiful little infographic about it. And it now sits as an insert in any of the physical books that we run in towards events. But one of the things that I put on the back of the postcard, and I'm just going to grab one from my office right now and read it across to you guys, because I think people might like this idea as to where they can join up online and offline stuff. No, I think that's great. And we can definitely put some uh, links to uh, to any of those types of things in the show notes at, uh, at socialpros.com. Yeah. So I, I just wrote a little thank you note on the back of the postcard. card. So this was something that somebody could stick by the side of their desk to have as a reminder of all the word choices. But I wrote a thank you note on the back and it was reads as this. Hi there. I created this book to be a quick and simple tool to help you to make even more of your conversations count and grow the confidence where it matters. This little postcard gives you some quick visual clues and reminds you the key magic words in the book and can provide you just the prompt you need um, to help you in the moments where it really matters. If you enjoy um, the book and take value from it, then there are a few things that you could do that make a huge difference to, to authors. So I was hoping that you could help me with a favor or two. Obviously, fun little plug from the book. Take a moment to leave a positive review on Amazon.com, share a photo of you and the book on social media, including the hashtag exactly what to say, introduce the book to others in your team and your business, buy a copy as a gift for somebody else, include an editorial review on your web, your blog site, send me a note on social media with your top takeaways. So there's a, there's a big, bold ask that sits on, on the postcard, but I think it comes from distilling down the content even further so and providing an an additional gift and it's it's worked it's been fun you know we're you know we're one of the most reviewed books on amazon in the short period of time and and, and people are talking about it and i and i think that's what many people in the world of social seem to forget is the goal is for us to be able to start more conversations, continue more conversations, and close more conversations, not to push more products. I think that's a perfect segue into us talking about your other book, Phil, uh, Exactly How to Sell, which uh, the subtitle is The Sales Guide for Non-Sales Professionals, because really, that is what all of us as, as social pros truly, I think, uh, aspire to uh, to be. I love how these two books complement each other. Exactly What to Say is, is a more tactical book. You say that in your introduction. Exactly How to Sell is a little bit more strategic. But what I love about Exactly How to Sell is the idea that we are all salespeople. We may, may not think of our pers- ourselves as a salesperson, but whether we're a marketer coming up with a new compelling story to a uh, uh, for a customer pitch like I had uh, had yesterday, or even an employee trying to make a case for a razor promotion. We're all salespeople. I would love to hear you talk a little bit more about that and how you, it sounds like even in, in how you market exactly what to say, you are a kind of non-consummate salesperson doing some amazing and interesting things in selling your book. Yeah, I, I think firstly, and we, we kind of get to this early on in the book, is, is to try and understand the difference between sales and marketing. What marketeers do is they try to get bees around a honeypot. They say, the honey's so sweet, please come turn up. Now, that's a great thing. The challenge is, though, that you can't control who all those bees are. And the majority of people I bump into in business, in some way, are dealing with a customer that they wish they didn't have. You know, somebody that chose them as opposed to you choosing them. And if you think about right now, any of the customers that you've had through the years that have been a pain, they're not the ones that you've strategically run out to hunt down to say, I want to spend the rest of my days with you. What they are is somebody who decided that they wanted to be one of your customers one day, not somebody you decided you'd like to be one of your customers. What salespeople do by alternative is they choose their customers. 
And instead of trying to play an attraction game, we go out and we have a farming and a gathering phase. We do have the right to choose our customers. I think it's too easy to forget that right. What I'd encourage more people to do is to say, well, who are the people that I help and what are the problems that I solve for them? And do I have a list of people that fit that description that are big enough? If people haven't got enough customers right now, the first thing I ask them to do is to define exactly what it is that they're looking for. And they know that what they have is like personas and that they have types of customers that they're looking for. But I try to make it as precise as possible. Let's get a specific list of missing people. And I call it missing people. And then I ask them to think about what that missing person poster looks like. And then I ask them to think about what is the size of the list that they would need to make them confident that they get the conversion results they're looking for. See, what marketeers do is they look for lots of new customers. What salespeople look for is 22 new customers or 12, or 36, or 94, or 112. And they can choose that precise number, and they can choose who they are. So I think that's the first big delineation between those two. And then when it comes to being great salespeople, we need to know how to open conversations. So the biggest problem that almost every salesperson has is they can wait for it to happen as opposed to make for it make it happen. They don't know how to be able to go and open up those doors, don't know how to go and open up more conversations. So one of the next things that we do in the book is I teach people how to build a giant, great big list full of potential customers, a list full of people with purpose, and then teach them the precise sets of words that they can use to open those doors more effectively to have more meaningful conversations with those customers. Do you think that's one of the challenges that we are faced with today with employee social advocacy? This, of course, is the is the is all the rage where um, companies ask their employees to to share company information on Twitter or Facebook or, or 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 LinkedIn or or Instagram in some cases, and and sometimes it works, but in a lot of cases it doesn't work very well. Is it is it because companies are sort of asking employees to to sell instead of having conversations and ask questions that that just are, are authentic and interesting? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's a good idea, badly executed. Now, I have a simple um, simple kind of strategy that has been my success principles my whole entire career today. And I've been in this game now for, well, since I was 14, so quite some time. Um, and the success is achieved by doing the basics to a high standard consistently. What often happens is people come up with a quick idea and then execute it badly and wonder around why it doesn't work. So social advocacy is a great idea, but exactly what do you want those people to say? How do you want them to go about it in an authentic way? What is the action that you're looking for them to actually be able to take? An example of which that I see regularly right now, and I hope I'm not speaking out of turn with it, but it's a platform that is being massively used by a lot of people, and it's the one of Thunderclap. Yeah, very common for book launches. Yeah. Now, I hate it. And the reason that I hate it is what it does is that you are reaching out towards your network to gain advocacy to share a message about your product or service. So it sounds great, right? But it's the easiest thing in the world to buy into. Jay does a book launch, launches a thunderclap. Phil comes on board, says, I'll support Jay. Got away from supporting Jay really easily. I just supported the thunderclap. Now, you've just took your ask of me being able to do something powerful for you, the favor that might have been being asked for you, and turned it into a generic monotonous tweet that turns like sounds like it's selling. Well, and, and, when everybody, and, and when everybody is tweeting the exact same thing at the exact same time, it feels a little artificial. Uh, I've certainly participated in several of them, but, but when I launched my last book, I didn't do one for the same reason. I thought, well, this is going to feel bogus to people. And that's the same thing that happens with the advocacy asks. 
you know, we put an ask out to our employees saying, will you support the brand mission? Will you support what it is that we're trying to do? Everybody says yes, but does it badly. But now what we've done is we took our one shot of asking somebody to help us. And because we didn't educate them on the way to help us with authenticity and truth, what ends up happening is that we have a watered down version that potentially has an adverse effect as opposed to a positive one. So I use Thunderclap with an extreme example just to prove the point. But I think what we really want to be looking to do is to teach more of our people to have more meaningful, positive conversations about their experience of doing business with the brand. Now, an employee can buy an experience from a brand in the same way that a consumer can buy an experience with a brand. They've just got to learn how to talk about it and learn what to say to be able to create moments. Well, to some degree, it's not even... To some degree, it's not even learning about how to talk about it. It's being empowered to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And empowered with some skill attached to it, though. I mean, I've heard lots of people feel empowered to talk about their workplace, and they do it in the pub or at the dinner table or in a bar, and I'd rather they didn't. They feel remarkably empowered. But what they're doing is they're being sabotaging of their brand. And brands are obviously you know, quite often scared of that thought, so we lock that whole thing down. So there is an element of education here is what do we want them to say? How do we want them to go about it? What is the is the procedures? And I think social media policy was something that often is driven through fear on many of those policy documents in many organizations. And it might need to be revisited. Lots of companies sit there and go, we've got our social media policy. We put it into place in 2012. We were ahead of the game. But all that stuff might need to be revisited if, if advocacy is the goal, saying how do we empower with education, with boundaries, to allow people to actually be able to have meaningful, powerful conversations about the great work that we're doing to build remarkable reputation. Many listeners of this show are social media professionals, befitting the title of the program. And and they, in some cases, want to get promoted. They want to transcend social media and, and get a job running a larger swath of the marketing department. So let me ask you this, Phil, before I get to the last two questions that we ask everybody, what should they say? How should they sell themselves? If you're, if you're trying to get a promotion, you're saying, look, I'm really good at this one piece of the organization. I can do more. What's the playbook for those folks? We're back to the same point we made earlier about the power of questions. What you often need is a window of opportunity where you've got somebody's undivided attention for a short period of time to float an idea that might make their job easy. So that's what we're looking to try to do is to prove to our boss, the leader, the decision maker in that capacity that there's an idea here that makes their train set run faster. The missing piece is how do I get that window? Now, there's a couple of ways that we can create that window. Much of them are talked about in exactly what to say, but let me lift a couple of big ones. First one is, is if I were to ask you guys here on the show right now to decide whether you're open-minded and say, are you open-minded? And what would the answer typically be? I think everybody says yes, right? Even if they're not. Well, yeah, because what's the alternative? The alternative isn't even closed-minded. The alternative is idiot, right? That, that's what the choice is, is pick open-minded or pick idiot. So what we can do is we can create a window of opportunity in somebody's mind by asking a how open-minded question would you be? So how open-minded would you be to give me 15 minutes where I can share some ideas about some of the more things that we can do in the marketing department to drive better results for you and your success plans? How open-minded would you be to perhaps me taking on some further projects, taking on additional responsibility, helping me to progress in my career? So we can take a how open-minded would you fashion. We could also approach it from another way. We can throw down a challenge. Here's where what we can do is we can put the onus back in the arms of the boss to be able to get them to be able to come up with a roadmap. Hey, what would need to happen for you to take the, or feel empowered to give me more responsibility and for me to get the next step on the ladder? What would need to happen for that to be true? What I've done is I've created a question there to get the other person to be able to push back where the gaps might be in my existing workload. 
I could also produce a way of being able to insert an idea to somebody completely rejection free by being able to position it to the left or the right of them. I could say, look, um, hey, I'm not sure if it's for you, but I got some really great ideas about some things that could be done in some of the other departments that could amplify what it is that we're doing here on social media and work for the greater good. I could then say, well, when would be a good time for us to sit down and have a conversation about this? Not, is there a good time? When would be a good time? See, that little change of words says that there's definitely going to be a good time. But what we need to be doing is leading the conversation, leading the charge, as opposed to waiting for somebody to come and save us. And remember that what we're looking to try and do is to be able to romance ourselves towards the outcome we're looking for. It's not sit frustrated. And the worst thing that happens to many people in employed roles is they spend all their time selling to their loved one, their other half, and their friend group why they should get the promotion. And they're having the right conversation with the wrong person. You heard it here on Social Pros, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to get promoted, you just call Phil M. Jones. He'll, he'll, give you the, he'll, he'll give you the exact words to say. Seriously, grab the books. They're both incredible. It will make you a, a better professional, regardless of your role, uh, exactly what to say and exactly how to sell our guest, Phil M. Jones, on this episode of Social Pros. This is one, because Phil is so specific and precise about his language, as he should be befitting the book, this is one we're going to want to read the transcript. So go to socialpros.com, spend some time with the transcript. You will be better for it. Of course, every episode of the show, all 312 episodes are all there at socialpros.com. Phil, I'm going to ask you the two questions that we've asked every guest here since we started the show eight years ago. Question number one, what one tip would you give somebody who's looking to become a social pro? Um, the one tip is to remember what industry that they're in. And the industry that they're in isn't the social media business or becoming a social pro or becoming a marketeer. The industry they're in is the people business. And I think if they can consciously keep sight of that on an everyday basis, then it will help them understand that what they're not doing is selling widgets or whatnots. They're helping people achieve X. I'll build on that in one great way is that everybody needs to know the answer to two key questions. First question is, who are the people that you serve? Second question is, what are the problems that you fix for them? If you can know the answer to those two questions, you can probably achieve a lot more success in all of your conversations. Well, that's one of the best answers to that question we've ever had. So well done. Thank you, Phil. Last question with Phil Magnificent Jones, author of Exactly What to Say, Exactly How to Sell. Also, if you get a chance to see Phil speak, I highly recommend you do that. He is exceptional. Phil, if you could do a Skype video call with any living person, who would it be and why? So easy for me to answer. The, the greatest living marketer that exists on the planet right now that still nobody has appreciated the ability of his genius as a marketer, and it's the musician Ed Sheeran. Um, if you follow his career from the very, very beginning, and I was fortunate enough to see him perform when he was about 17 years of age and the lights went out in the, in the bar that he was performing to about 160 people. The gig looked like it was about to be canceled. He pulled a wooden table out into the middle of the, the dance floor, stood on stage with a guitar and rocked the show for the next 90 minutes and then collected the business cards and slips of paper from every single person in the room to be able to add them to his fan base and his mailing list. And he continued to do the same show after show after show after show show up for years and if you follow some of the genius of what that guy's done to build a tribe to put him into a situation where he had i think last year somewhere like 25 of the top 40 tracks in the whole of the music industry were songs that he either produced collaborated on or written 
the kid's got some game when it comes to building tra- tribe in, in in a way that nobody else has done and is somebody that I follow as a marketer and as a human being that I'd love to just be able to pick his brain for 20 minutes or so. I love that. That is a great answer. We've never had that one on the show before. Thank you so much for bringing that to light. We'll make sure to link that up in the show notes as well. Phil, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our community on the Social Pros Podcast. It is always illuminating and delightful to interact with you, my friend. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Huge pleasure. Keep up the great work, gents. Thanks. We'll do it again on behalf of Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud. I'm Jay Bear, founder of Convince and Convert. This has been Social Pros back next week with another fantastic guest. We will see you then. Thanks for listening to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and for our greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext. And it's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, visit us at convinceandconvert.com.